Hello there, and welcome to Byzantium and the Crusades. My name is Nick Holmes, and this is a podcast series that looks at the Crusades from the Byzantine angle. In previous episodes, we've heard about the Battle of Manticurt and how the Dukai betrayed the Emperor Romanus Diogenes at the battle and then seized the throne. We've heard about the disastrous reign of Michael VII Ducas, which resulted in the loss of Anatolia to the Turks. In this episode, we'll take a short break from the narrative history and consider a question that has long fascinated me, which is why do historians even today tend to write off Romanus Diogenes' attempts to save Byzantium and to underemphasize the truly catastrophic effect of the Dukai? I think the answer lies in our undertaking a bit of detective work on the Byzantine sources, which I think have been manipulated to show the Dukai in a much better light and Romanus in a much worse light than was in reality the case. As before, I'll read extracts from my book called The Byzantine World War, which was published last year in 2019 and is available at Amazon and most retailers. Now, let's go. Hope you enjoy it. It is widely recognised that contemporary accounts are seldom objective. As Winston Churchill allegedly said, history is written by the victors. In the context of 11th century Byzantium, his words have particular relevance since one of the most influential sources was, in effect, written by the victors over Romanus, that is, the Ducas family, i.e. the traitors of Mansikert. Their version of events has, in my opinion, distorted the truth about Romanus, and it is time that the full extent of their deception was laid bare. The source in question is called the Chronographia, which was written by Michael Sellus, who became the Ducas family's closest advisor after they overthrew Romanus, and a leading political figure in the disastrous reign of Michael VII Ducas. Written in the mid-1070s, it is a history of the Byzantine emperors in the 11th century. First published in English in 1953, there are a host of reasons for its popularity. It is very well written, lively and full of anecdotes. The characters, the majority of whom are the emperors during the 11th century, are vividly and amusingly portrayed. The writing is sharp and crisp, Michael Sellus himself was a charismatic figure, a highly successful lawyer and judge. He became a senator and was influential in political circles and has long been highly regarded by historians for his diverse collection of works on philosophy, science and poetry. Scholars indeed see him as one of the great medieval intellectuals, paving the way for the cultural creativity of the Italian Renaissance. So, it would seem only natural to assume that his description of Romanus's reign is likely to be accurate and insightful. But, in my opinion, how wrong this is. So, first of all, what does Sellus actually say about Romanus? In brief, he describes him as an arrogant fool who led the Byzantine armies to defeat due to his own incompetence. Indeed, his dislike of Romanus is so intense that he even opens his account of his reign with the startling statement that the Empress Eudocia, quote, 
should have put him, i.e. Romanus, to death, end quote. However, it is now clear that Celis's view is a gross and calculated misrepresentation. Not only is it contradicted point by point in the only other contemporary account of the period, which is uh, called The History, written by Michael Attaliates and has been frequently referred to in our narrative history, but in addition to that, new evidence has recently come to light showing Celis to be a hypocrite of the most extraordinary proportions. This new evidence consists of three panegyrics, and that means uh, a short form of eulogy, that he wrote during the reign of Romanus Diogenes himself. They provide an extraordinary revelation. The first was penned in early January 1068, uh, that is a few days after Romanus's coronation as emperor, and presumably it was delivered in the Senate. Its praise for Romanus shows that Cellus was in fact one of his supporters when he became emperor. Quote, Today is a day of salvation. Today brings freedom from hardship. Today the Lord visited his domain and leant over from the sky and saw and dispatched his angel from on high and relieved us of present evil and future misfortune of gathering clouds and arrow shots. End quote. And this particular oration was no mistake or anomaly, since we have two more in similar vein. The second tells us of his admiration for Romanus's self-sacrifice in fighting the Turks. Quote, Your soul was not conquered by the decorations and the other trappings of ruling, or by the beauty of the crown, but in the same way you were crowned by God, so that we live in luxury and happiness. You take care of us, toiling in all sorts of cares and pain in the same way you were adorned with the crown and you sharpened the edge of the sword against enemies, end quote. The third panegyric continues in similar vein, describing Celis's hopes that Romanus's campaigns would bring victory over the Turks. Quote, May a cloud covering your head protect you from the heat. May a pillar of light marching ahead of your shield guide you. May the Lord flatten for you every craggy and high mountain, fill for your sake the deep ravines and straighten the narrow winding paths. Adorn your head with victory wreaths and return to us crowned with a thousand victories and glorified by numerous trophies. End quote. Why then did Cellus change his mind so dramatically and malign someone whom he had previously so ardently supported? The answer is that Cellus was a political chameleon. As a supporter of Romanus when he was in power, Romanus's defeat at Mansikert put him in a difficult position. The viciousness of his attack on Romanus in the Chronographia was an attempt to win favour with the Ducai, i.e. the new rulers, and erase memories of his previous support for Romanus. With the Ducai in power, there is no doubt that Cellus pandered to his new masters in the most glaringly deceitful way, while the reign of the Ducai from 1072 to 1078 is universally regarded as a time of unmitigated disaster for Byzantium, Cellus's description of these years is sycophantic, in particular depicting the grossly incompetent Emperor Michael VII's Ducas as gifted and capable. 
Unfortunately, we know nothing about Sellis's death, but he probably died at some point between 1078 and 1081, since he disappears from history from 1078 onwards. When the Dukai were overthrown in 1078, there was an opportunity for an alternative view about Romanus and Mansikert to be put forward. This took the form of Ataliates's The History, which is an almost blow-by-blow rebuttal of everything that Sellis wrote. Like Sellus, Ataliates was a high-ranking lawyer and senator, and there are compelling reasons to believe that his account is more reliable than that of Sellus. For example, he was actually present on all of Romanus's campaigns, including the last one that ended with the Battle of Mansikert. In contrast, Sellus was present only on the first campaign in 1068. Ataliates's The History is also a detailed account of Romanus's reign compared with Sellus's, which is very cursory. Indeed, without uh, Ataliates's version, we would have almost no idea of the details of the Battle of Mansikert or indeed Romanus's other campaigns. And since it would be very difficult to make this level of detail up, we can assume that Ataliates's version is largely authentic. Another difference is that Ateliates is the history is also much more analytical about the causes of Byzantine decline than Sellus's account. For example, Sellus doesn't even acknowledge that the empire had shrunk within his own lifetime to a shadow of its former size, while Ataliates's work not only recognises this, but also tries to rationalise why it happened. One of his most intriguing explanations lies with his comparison of modern Byzantines with their Republican Roman predecessors. He sees modern Byzantines as cowardly and foolish, suitable for God to punish. In contrast, the Republican Romans, although they had no knowledge of God, were, he argues, more genuinely pious in their pagan notions of honour, fortitude and courage, and therefore more deserving of God's patronage. But the most striking feature of Italiates's work lies in his portrayal of Romanus as the exact opposite of that presented by Sellus. In the first of his campaigns, he praises how Romanus made the Byzantines, quote, stand up to their enemies and recover their noble outlook, end quote. His writing seethes with hatred for the Ducai's betrayal of Romanus and their part in his hideous death. Quote, as for you, O Emperor, that is Michael the Seventh Ducas, one way or another a day will come when an evil eye, Titanic and Cronian, will turn its gaze upon you. End quote. So, given the weight of evidence supporting Ateliates' views, why is Sellus' account of Mansikert regarded as remotely credible, even today? The answer lies partly with Byzantine politics, and particular with the role of the Komneni, who ruled Byzantium from 1081 to 1185. During Romanus's reign, the Komneni had supported him against the Ducai, but this changed in 1081 for a very important reason, which was that Alexius Komnenus married into the Ducas family thereby uniting the two for political purposes. He did this to secure the throne when, unable to take Constantinople by storm, he relied on Caesar 
John Ducasses, the same Caesar John who ousted Romanus, uh, his support to gain entry to Constantinople to depose the Emperor Botaniates. Caesar John Ducas provided this in return for Alexius's agreement to marry his granddaughter Irene, who was none other than the daughter of Andronicus Ducas, the traitor of Mansicurd. However, the price paid by the Comneni was to become complicit in the Ducai propaganda against Romanus. The most important historical works of the 12th century were written by the Comneni, in particular the Alexiad of Anna Comnena and the History by Nicephorus Briennius, who was her husband, both of which tacitly support Celus's anti-Romanus views and make no mention of Andronicus's betrayal at Mansicurt. Although it is true that later in the 12th century, when Comnenian power started to wane, there was something of a revival of Italiates's pro-Romanus arguments, such as that penned by the 12th century Byzantine chronicler John Zanarus, nevertheless by their memories of Manticurt had ceased to have the pressing urgency they did in the 11th century, the passage of time had done its work of confusing posterity as to what had really happened. The dreadful day as Mansicurt was called, had become a confused myth about a foolhardy emperor who risked and lost a battle. So where does that leave us today? Well, nearly a thousand years after the Battle of Mansicurt, Celus's partisan and prejudiced views about Romana still hold surprising sway over historians. And this is largely because Romanus's reign remains very under-researched and Celus's propaganda against him encourages historians to denigrate his achievements, especially the importance, in my opinion, of his vision of restoring the Byzantine army. This has also led to confusion about the true significance of the Battle of Manticurt, with some more modern historians questioning whether the battle really was the turning point in Byzantine history seen by an older generation of historians like Stephen Runciman. Most prominently, the French historian Jean-Claude Chenet wrote an article nearly 40 years ago suggesting that Mansicurt was of limited significance since Romanus's army was not fully destroyed and casualties by his estimation might have been as low as 10% of the total army. However, Chenet's view of the Battle of Mansicurt is, in my opinion, highly questionable. Without wishing to spend too much time on the minutiae of academic debate, it seems that Chenet's evidence is selective, based on brief comments by Italiates that he saw some Cappadocians and Imperial cavalry fleeing after Romanus was surrounded. However, in my opinion, Chenet chooses to ignore other statements by both Italiates and Cellus, suggesting that the bulk of the army was destroyed. Cellus is extremely clear on this uh, when he says, quote, his i.e. Romanus's army, was scattered. Those who escaped were but a tiny fraction of the whole. Of the majority, some were taken captive, the rest massacred. End quote. Italiates isn't quite so clear-cut on the size of casualties, but leaves us in no doubt that the Byzantine army was comprehensively routed. Quote, For what could be more pitiable than the entire imperial army in flight, defeated and chased by inhuman and cruel barbarians? End quote. 
While it is true that some of the army did indeed escape from Manticurt, and this was Andronicus's rearguard, of course, and indeed also most of the Western army, which fought on the left wing, Romanus's new army of Cappadocian, Anatolian and Armenian troops in the centre and on the right wing were decisively routed. In my opinion, they must have suffered very heavy casualties, perhaps as high as 50%, assuming that they constituted at least half of the Byzantine army at Mansica. This would mean that not only was around a quarter of the total army killed, maimed or captured, but it was also the best half, i.e. the new Cappadocian regiments that had been the real core of Romanus's army in his previous and largely successful campaigns. This view is supported by the evidence that Romanus found it very difficult to raise a large army after Mansicurt. Ataliates is very clear on this point, saying that, quote, he, i.e. Romanus, came across very few soldiers who were refugees from the battle, end quote. Indeed, we know that after Mansicurt, Romanus failed to raise enough soldiers to beat Crispin's Franks, who probably numbered only a thousand or two, it is therefore almost certain that the civil war that followed Mansicur was in fact a pretty small-scale military affair as a result of the carnage at Mansicurt. Chenet's other main contention is that the civil war that followed Mansicur was more significant than defeat at the battle. In my opinion, this confuses cause and effect. The various civil wars, that between the Ducae and Romanus, as well as the later conflict between the Ducae and Britanniates, and also, of course, that between Britanniates and Alexius Comnenus, they all resulted, essentially, I think, from defeat at Mansicurt. And the reason for this was simply that after the battle, there was no central Byzantine army strong enough to impose the emperor's authority over his rebellious subjects. Anatolia was also lost after Mansica because there was simply no Byzantine army capable of defending it. Therefore, I think there seems little doubt that Mansikert was the decisive turning point in Byzantine history. And I also think it's true to say that Romanus's reign remained strangely neglected and his name wrongly dishonoured. I find this puzzling because it could be argued that he was one of the most far-sighted emperors of the 11th century since he understood that for the empire to survive, it needed to end its dependence on mercenaries and to revive its strong indigenous army which had safeguarded it in the 10th and previous centuries. While such a view isn't particularly popular with modern historians, in my opinion there is very little to argue against it except, of course, the words of Michael Sellis, and his words now look like a cover-up that has worked far too effectively and pervasively and for far too long. It is, in my opinion, time that Romanus's place in history was reassessed.
And that ends this episode. Hope you enjoyed it. If you did, I'd be hugely grateful if you left a review on Apple Podcasts or anywhere. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. In the next episode, we'll get back to the narrative story and how the Emperor Alexius Komnenos made a call for help to the West, which would result in the First Crusade.